the Smithsonian National Zoo in Washington has a whole team of employees, medical professionals, and you know, volunteers who aid in panda reproduction, monitor panda heart rates, and they tend to the bamboo the pandas are eating. But you know what they don't have? Pandas. The black and white fur balls are all gone. They got FedEx back to China. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to this week's Dubious episode. I'm Sandra. And I'm Tyler. And today we are talking about pandas and why China took them back from us earlier than scheduled. Yeah, it's basically about this week's meeting between POTUS Biden and Xi Jinping, elections next year in Taiwan, and the race for AI supremacy. There's more to it than that, we'll talk about a lot of things in this episode, but the panda situation is very interesting and a unique way of doing diplomacy. Because let's face it, everyone loves pandas. Yes, I mean, look, it's not like imposing tariffs or some new economic punitive measures, right? Taking our pandas, well, frankly, it's always been China's pandas. It's their pandas. They just lend them to us. But taking the pandas, whom I'm going to keep referring to as our pandas, okay, anyway. So this is something that has a sentimental effect, right? Like, I'm sad I did get upset over this more than I would if I'd seen news about the trade war with China. I used to watch the panda cam. It was great. Now it's just old footage and highlights. I mean, it's still cute, but it's not the same thing as watching the pandas live. <laughs> well, look, let's not get too depressed here. After all, the pandas are healthy, happy, and even though they're in China, it's not like they died or anything. Cheer up! <laughs> Plus, we decided to do the panda episode with all the grim stuff happening in the world right now because this story is not as sad. And now we're not even five minutes into the episode and you're almost crying? <laughs> okay, okay, fine. Obviously, it's not the end of the world. But as I said, I love the pandas and hopefully they'll be back. So let's start with the beginning. When and how and why were the little fluffy diplomats recalled? And what is China signaling with this move? This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know what I always say, right? You can't ignore your trauma and hope it disappears. The only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us. Fireballs, spitballs, too many balls. And when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best and it affects your interactions with the people you care about. So how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, you be friends, I'm a BetterHelp happy customer, been using their services since way before we even started this podcast. I can attest to the fact that Sandra is now, let's say, a much lovelier person to be around. <laughs> oh, shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. <laughs> With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off your first month if you sign up at betterhelp.com dubious. Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Visit betterhelp.com dubious to get 10% off your first month or click the link in the episode notes. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash dubious.
On Wednesday, November 8, 2023, the two adult pandas, Mei Xiang and Tian Tian, and their three-year-old cub, Xiao Kiji, were guided into individual metal crates and driven in trucks to the airport. They took off in a FedEx Boeing 777 called the Panda Express. The special plane even has a panda painted on it. I mean, this breaks my heart! <laughs> okay, well, here's some information that you will like. Mei Sheng and Tian Tian arrived at the National Zoo in 2000 under a 10-year agreement that has been renewed three times since 2010. Xiao Qi Ji, whose name means Little Miracle, was born in 2020 as a result of artificial insemination, and the little male cub is indeed a miracle, as his mom was considered too old to be able to get the pregnancy to term. See, not everything is doom and gloom. <laughs> Okay, true, true. But wait, why wasn't the contract renewed again? It wasn't for a lack of trying on our part, but we don't know the details. All we know is that efforts to renew the zoo's current panda agreement, which ends on December 7th, have been unsuccessful. So not only did China refuse to renew the contract, they're taking the pandas back even earlier than previously agreed. Yes, the timing here is very interesting. We'll get to that in a minute. Right now, I want to talk about how the family of pandas were made ready for the trip. Animal keepers and curators at the National Zoo have been preparing the pandas for their 20-hour journey by crate training them. And this is what Mariel Lally, one of the animal keepers who traveled with the pandas, told the news. The pandas absolutely love their crates. Some pandas, like Meg's Young, actually don't want to leave their crate. We have to bribe them with food to get them out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like our dogs. <laughs> right? Always asking for treats to do the simplest things, like go out in the backyard to go potty. They trained us, haven't they? I'm telling you, my Odie is so bold that he actually expects a treat to not only go potty, but also to re-enter the house. Like he stops at the door and won't come back inside unless he gets something. <laughs> Nala has similar methods. <laughs> yeah, so of course, I mean, but that's why we love them. Anyways, the pandas spent most of the flight sleeping and eating, and the zoo brought about 200 pounds of bamboo for the flight, in addition to other foods like apples, carrots, and sweet potatoes. And their exit was accorded all the pomp of the presidential motorcades that zip through Washington. The pandas had police escorts, waving bystanders, and trailing journalists. I love that they're so spoiled. I know, everyone loves the pandas. There was also a veterinarian on the flight, of course, just in case, but no incidents occurred. And once they arrived in China after the 19-hour flight, the pandas joined about 100 other pandas in a lush nature preserve in the misty mountains of Sichuan province. Lots of people traveled from other states to see the pandas one last time before they left. The zookeepers were almost in tears. I mean, it was a sad goodbye. The departure of the pandas leaves Zoo Atlanta as the only one in the U.S. with a giant panda program. But the loan agreement for the zoo's four pandas expires next year. So it looks like in 2024, there could be no pandas in the United States for the first time since 1972. The United States is not the only country facing the loss of the beloved bears, which China has long gifted to other countries in what is dubbed, you know, panda diplomacy. The only pair of pandas in Britain is set to return to China from the Edinburgh Zoo by the end of the year, while Australia and China are negotiating the extension of a loan agreement for two pandas at the Adelaide Zoo that expires next year. So the US, the UK, and Australia could all be pandalists by 2024? Wow. Yes, and see, 
it's only the US and its allies that are having the pandas snatched back by China, not Russia, for example, or Qatar. They get to keep their pandas. I'm so jealous. <laughs> but at the same time, I know this is a power play by China. They're sending a signal, right? By the way, as a Chinese national symbol, the pandas are a relatively new development. The United States has long had the bald eagle, you know, Russia has the bear. But before China's communist revolution in 1949, other animals were much more prominently used as cultural icons. Like we all know the dragon, the phoenix, the tiger, the crane. That, those are the symbols that I guess were more prevalent. And now it's the pandas and they're gone. <laughs> Exactly. The panda exodus comes as the US and its allies are at odds with China over a number of issues including trade, technology, the status of Taiwan and China's stance on wars in the Middle East and Ukraine. Both the US and China have expressed interest in improving ties, but it's complicated. President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping are meeting in San Francisco this week. This is their first interaction in a year. Yes, and the timing of the panda departure is very telling. I mean, look, they were taken back literally a week before our president is meeting theirs on Wednesday, November 15 in San Francisco. But in fairness, zoos that host pandas outside China usually agree to send adults back when they are elderly. And we know that Meix Yang is 25 and Tian Tian is 26. Now, Melissa Songer, a conservation biologist at the zoo who has worked with the pandas for 23 years, told the New York Times, they are at the age where they should be in China. I don't want to have a panda pass away outside of China. Well, regardless, the timing is very weird. So I'd say this is the moment when our dubimeter alarms go off for the panda exodus. Right, so it could be their ages, or it could be a negotiation tactic, or both. That's why it's dubious, right? Because we don't know 100% one way or another. If it's just a negotiation tactic, it won't work. If anything, it might backfire, because Biden is really good at anything having to do with foreign policy. He's more experienced in this area than literally 90% of world politicians, including Xi Jinping. Plus, let's be honest, the American public will be mad at China, not at Biden. I mean, China took our bears away, so we, it's not like we didn't want them here. So Xi Jinping's strategy, it's kind of missing the point, because while we love the pandas, it's not like we're gonna let China around in the Indo-Pacific, especially Taiwan, just, you know, just to have the pandas, even though, honestly, I really want the pandas <laughs> back. <laughs> well, panda diplomacy here began when Patricia Nixon, the first lady, mentioned her fondness for pandas. I love them to China's premier Zhao Enlai during the landmark visit she and President Richard Nixon made to Beijing in 1972, when the relations with China were normalized. Within two months, China had sent a female and a male panda, Ling Ling and Sing Sing, to the National Zoo. The panda presence in Washington has persisted ever since as a symbol of the ties between the United States and China. Back then, the pandas were a symbol of a new friendship between our two countries and the way for China, which hoped to integrate more with the rest of the world, to draw the United States closer to its flank. But as the species became increasingly endangered, panda diplomacy evolved in order to better meet conservation goals and, frankly, to serve China's strategic interests. In simpler terms, China is using them as leverage in a way. Since the 1980s, the government has given pandas to foreign zoos on short and long-term scientific loans, subject to renegotiation with Chinese officials and greater scrutiny from Chinese scientists over the treatment and care of their pandas. 
Now, as China increases its network of influence across the globe that rivals the U.S., continuing these partnerships with the U.S. sues yields diminishing returns for their investment. This rationing of pandas allows China an opportunity to increase the value of panda loans in the future and rethink and renegotiate a concept of exactly what these loans mean, according to Elena Songster, a history professor at St. Mary's College of California and an expert on panda diplomacy. She also said, if China has fewer pandas out there, they're even more prized and it can probably negotiate a more favorable terms with relation to future agreements. Right. It makes sense. And look, uh, I wanted to say something here. I, you know, there's a lot of context. We can't get into everything that's been happening. But Biden, for very good reasons, put some controls on microchip experts and microchip technology experts to China and so on. Things that really, really affect China's economy simply because especially their military had gotten so good with using those chips to create some weapons that we couldn't even detect basically more much less track so it's it's a lot of context behind this but yeah in 2022 for example congresswoman nancy mace from south carolina a republican introduced the panda act promoting animal naturalization and democracy act panda right which would stop pandas born in the u.s from being returned to china now, it sounds okay at the first glance. I was like, yeah, that's, you know, not a bad idea. But once you look into it, this Panda Act, like a lot of the ideas Republicans have been having lately, not all of them, but like a lot of stuff they propose is really, really not a good idea. So first of all, what she proposes would be under international law, like kidnapping and separating panda cubs from their parents. Am I upset the pandas are gone? Yes. Would I have been happier if little panda cup Xiao Kiji stayed here all alone while his parents Meg Xiang and Tian Tian were taken back to China? Hell no, that would have been horrible. While I 100% agree with the concept of animals being recognized as sentient beings, you know, like humans basically, by the law, and while I get the appeal of naturalization, like any animal born here is ours, just like any human born here is American, so I agree with that concept in theory, that doesn't work like that with the pandas lent to us by the Chinese government because they are lent to us, but they are not our property. Under international law, any resulting cubs are the property of China too. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's You can't really go around it. Plus, let's assume that we would have kept Xiao Qiji the baby. Then what? He would have lived a lonely life, no way of making babies because he has no other pandas around to mate with. So what would have been the point other than further fracturing relations with China and ensuring that we never see another panda from them ever again? Exactly. It's a myopic, short-term, not thought-through, half-assed baked idea like most of the stuff Republicans do, sadly. And with pernicious implications to our already strained relationship with China. So good thing the entire family of pandas left. At least there is a chance we get them back in the future or get other pandas. Plus they're together as they should be. And we want to make one thing clear. The panda departure has nothing to do with an inability to take care of the animals. Although critics in China at one point accused American zoos of mistreating some of their prized pandas. Uh, of course. American <laughs> zoos as well as both governments, maintain that the breeding and lease programs have been successful, promoting conservation and intercultural goals. Yes, while unofficially China is 
you know, spreading rumors. Officially, Liu Pengyu, a spokesperson for the Chinese embassy in Washington, said that many good results have been achieved on breeding, disease prevention and control, technical exchanges, and public awareness. This has played a positive role in protecting endangered species and enhancing the friendship between Chinese and American peoples. But I think everyone knows that not only we took great care of the pandas, we cherished them. Come on, because they are adorable fur balls of joy. Dan Ash, the director of the Association of Zoos and Aquarium, told Politico, Zoos aren't taking this personally. It's not a repudiation of zoos or their ability to take care of pandas. It's a reflection of the state of relations between the U.S. and China. Exactly. Very well said, Mr. Ash. <laughs> so let's stay focused on the issue at hand. Uh, the issue at Po, at Panda Po. <laughs> <laughs> Panda Claw. You stay focused. You said you said stay focused, so stay focused. <laughs> All right, let's stay focused. So, what do we know about this meeting between Biden and Xi Jinping? The Biden-Xi bilateral will take place during the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation or APEC summit, which the U.S. is hosting in San Francisco from the 11th to the 17th of November. The encounter on November 15th will be only their second face-to-face -face meeting during the Biden presidency. It will be wide-ranging, U.S. officials said, with the Israel-Hamas war, Taiwan, the war in Ukraine, the election interference to be discussed, and it is an important moment because relations between the two countries deteriorated earlier this year. Just like my memory, because I almost forgot <laughs> we must remind our people about the ad-free episodes. Dear listeners, you can claim all our episodes ad-free if you become patrons. This is the simplest way you can support Dubious. Yes, Dubi friends, as you know, because we harass you with this information every episode, we are an independent podcast, we don't have a team, we don't have editors, sound designers, researchers, and so on. It's just Tyler and I, and we do our best every week to bring you the best stories. We work on this podcast in our free time, on nights and weekends, and sometimes during work hours. So if you want to support us, please become a patron on dubiouspod.com or by clicking the link in the episode notes right here in the app you're listening to us in. It's cheaper than a fancy cup of coffee, you get all our content ad-free, and your help will mean the world to us. Yes, now back to the tensions with China. The most recent incident was when the United States accused China of sending a spy balloon across its airspace. Remember that spy balloon, Tyler? An American warplane shot it down off the coast of South Carolina, and there was also the visit to Taiwan last year by then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi, which led China to break off communication between our two nations' militaries, right? And this is just the tip of the iceberg. President Biden is determined to restore those channels, but China appears reluctant to do so, hence the panda signal. Right. One official told the BBC, this is not the relationship of five or ten years ago. We're not talking about a long list of outcomes or deliverables. The goals here are really about managing the competition, preventing the downside of risk of conflict, and ensuring channels of communications are open. Well, I think this is a pretty good summary of where we stand with China. But what is really at the heart of this deterioration of relations between China and the US? Concretely, like what beef do we have with them? What are we competing for here besides, you know, trade as a general term? What's at stake, Sandra, for real? America's entire future. <laughs> okay. Well. On, no, I mean, it sounds, it sounds exaggerated, but seriously, and on a more even serious note, like, I'm glad you asked because I wanted to talk about this for a long time and we didn't, like, our episodes just didn't bring this subject up 
until now. The issue here is the race for artificial intelligence, AI supremacy. Because like Putin said, who controls AI controls the future. Like that's a quote from memory, but he's not wrong. Putin, as we said before, he's evil, he's not stupid. And Taiwan is key to this future. So the whole diplomatic dance, China's posturing in the South China Sea, the brushes with the Philippine ships and flying its planes dangerously close to American ones, all of this is pretty much about Taiwan and who will control Taiwan. Right. And why is Taiwan important and key to the future of the United States and the welfare and prosperity of American citizens? Because Taiwan is the world's largest producer of semiconductors. And these semiconductors are what powers AI and what they power everything from your microwave to your car to your, I don't even know, even the old school type calculators, right? 60% of all microchips are produced on the island. 92% of logic semiconductors with components smaller than 10 nanometers capable of fitting more processing capacity onto a minuscule area while also being faster and more energy efficient are made in Taiwan. And I think What's important here to remember throughout the rest of this episode is that microchips mean power, especially military power, which means geopolitical power. And look, capacities are growing, capabilities are expanding. For example, a single strand of human hair is 90,000 nanometers thick. In 1971, an average transistor, an average chip, was already just 10,000 nanometers thick. Today, the most advanced chips are manufactured at 2 nanometers. 2 nanometers, Tyler. I mean, you you can't even visually, it's like, I, I guess it's smaller than a virus. And TSMC is already working on creating a one nanometer chip. That's tiny. It's smaller than a grain of sand even. That's insane. Yes, but also fascinating, no? (laughs) Sandra, you're a nerd. Wow. I mean, says the king (laughs) of nerds, because you're literally the nerdiest person I know. (laughs) So back to our conversation. TSMC is the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, the world's largest dedicated independent pure play semiconductor foundry. What does pure play mean? Well, a pure play company focuses solely on a particular product or activity. Pure play firms either specialize in a specific niche or have little to no vertical integration. So basically, in layman terms, <laughs> they do one thing, like microchips, right? And they do it good. So good that there's no competition, not at the scale TSMC is operating and not at their level of technological innovation. Exactly. They do it well. I mean, they rule the world in the field of microchips, plain and simple. And the thing is, semiconductor chips power everything from phones, cars, toys, and home appliances to drones, armored vehicles, missiles, surveillance satellites, and nuclear weapons. And the worrying thing is that the U.S. share of global semiconductor manufacturing capacity has decreased from 37% in 1990 to 12% in 2021, according to the Semiconductor Industry Association. This discrepancy poses major risks to American national security and the economy, which is why both industry insiders and politicians recently began a call for building semiconductor fabs in the U.S. And we do now have some microchip fabs, which is how chip factories are called, fabs. So we now have more in Arizona and Ohio built by Intel, 
but there are years behind what Taiwan is doing in terms of nanometers. Yes, and I think there's one in Ohio also built by TSMC themselves. There are some contracts and the best technology and the most uh, evolved microchips are still being produced in Taiwan. What we're doing here is a few years behind and that's like a contractual situation you know just because taiwan obviously wants to maintain this supremacy with microchips and you know it's a kind of like a silicon shield from china because by having this position they ensure that the united states will always have their back right if china tries to invade so Anyway, back to the story. When you have a microchip that's one nanometer thick, like, I can't imagine you can make it any smaller. Like, you reached a physical limit there, right? What I'm trying to say is, so far this industry evolved at such a fast pace because there was room for improvement, literally. But you can't go smaller than that because connections then overlap and cause issues, I guess. So what's the next step from here? Well, you daisy chain the one nanometer chips and find innovative ways of putting as many as possible in as compact as possible spaces. Imagine one square centimeter of these chips, they'd be able to power literally the entire electrical grid systems for a whole country. Okay, I get it. Okay, I get why Taiwan is the real thing that's at stake here in this China-US Cold War thing that's happening now. Can I call it the Cold War? I don't want to be dramatic. I don't know. <laughs> that panda has already sailed. <laughs> wow. Like, do you guys see what I'm being subjected to in this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting? Do you see what I have to go through? Do you see? I think you're just proving my point. <laughs> <laughs> but back to our explanation here about why Taiwan is so important to the U.S. Taiwan's highly specialized microchip production fabs necessary for powering AI technologies are the key to securing and consolidating America's national security objectives and its position as a global superpower. Additionally, Taiwan is sat in the world's most economically consequential region, being located at a key juncture within the first island chain of China and anchoring a strategic network of U.S. allies that is critical to the defense of the United States' vital interest in the Indo-Pacific. And with presidential elections coming up next year in Taiwan, on January 13, 2024 to be exact, we want to make sure China does not do things to prevent or alter or influence election results because as it stands now, it seems that the candidate despised by Beijing and loved by us may win Taiwan's presidential election. Plus, tensions have been escalating in the Taiwan Strait for a while now, and because of everything we've discussed so far, it's clear why the United States has vital strategic interests at stake in the Taiwan Strait. Right, and since we highlighted the importance of Taiwan, let's put it in the context of AI. Disruptive and emerging technologies with military applications like artificial intelligence and synthetic biology are already shaping the future of United States, like of the future of our intelligence and defense capabilities, right? Not only in space and cyberspace. We're not talking AI like large language models like ChatGPT or image generating AI bots like Dolly or Midjourney, which we actually use for our podcast graphics. We're talking about sophisticated real world things like F-16 AI powered jets, AI models that train your soldiers, things that can make or break a country in times of war. 
Right, and in the coming years, countries that have the capability to successfully harness AI innovation will be strategically positioned for both improved national security and economic growth. In fact, emerging and disruptive technologies like AI-powered synthetic biology and extended reality are already changing the landscape of traditional warfare and intelligence operations. I've just finished a great book called The Coming Wave, Technology, Power, and the 21st Century Dilemma by Mustafa Sur- could not recommend it more. But the point is, we need to be prepared and we also need guardrails for AI. Containment. I mean, we need to be able to contain it if and when needed. But at the same time, we need to master it and have AI supremacy, which is tricky. The point is, I learned from this book, while these technologies, you know, have the potential of generating immensely positive results for economies and people, they can also empower bad actors to unleash disinformation, instability, destruction, chaos. I mean, we've already seen this happening, for example, with deepfakes, right? That's just the tip of the iceberg. Our country's future depends on these technologies. AI will be enormously helpful in medicine, research, climate change control, agriculture. Any positive thing you can think of, AI will help tremendously. Like cures for new diseases. And also, in fact, the agricultural sector is already benefiting from AI tech. So our country's future depends on these technologies, but at the same time is imperiled by them. So we have to find a balance here to where we are in charge, but we can also control it. And advanced AI technologies could present an existential threat to nation states in general, with such profound risks such as large-scale AI-backed cyber attacks or engineered pandemics that might disrupt or even overturn the current geopolitical order. I think I'm having a panic attack over here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, like with anything, uh, if done right, AI will be an amazing thing for us. Anyway, it's not like we can decide to not go down the AI path. Like that ship has sailed. Other countries are taking this path and we'd be left in a modern dark ages, so to speak, if we don't go the same route. We must embrace it, but contain it too. I agree. We can't stay suspended in time and be left behind. Exactly. So in the past, the intelligence and defense community focused on traditionally hostile states when it came to, for example, certain types of bioterrorism threats, right? Currently, that reality has shifted drastically. The price of DNA synthesizers, which print bespoke strands of DNA, is falling rapidly, with some printing stations costing as little as $20,000. And anyone with a graduate training degree in biology or, you know, great self-learning skills and motivation can print DNA in their garage. New pathogens, far more lethal and transmissible than anything in nature, could potentially decimate entire populations. A single person today theoretically, has the capacity to kill a billion people. Such technologies could be used against the United States or its allies by Hamas, Daesh, Hezbollah, and even lone wolf foreign or domestic actors. And this is just one example. The military applications of AI are endless. Endless positive uses, but equally terrifying, not so positive uses as well. And whoever has the latest and best technology will be able to keep, at least in theory, these threats at bay as much as possible. And all AI is ultimately powered by microchips. And the more advanced the AI, the more advanced the microchips it needs. And guess who has those? Taiwan. 
So yeah, we have to basically make sure China doesn't control Taiwan. And guess what we've been doing to achieve that goal? Want to make a podcast like we do? Well, Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Yes, guys, from your phone. You can be on the couch cuddling with your pets. (laughs) and working on your podcast at the same time. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get people talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free, no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for podcasters, we feel we finally have options, and you could too. You could do a video podcast and Q&A listener polls even. If you want to have your own podcast, we highly recommend you give Spotify for podcasters a try. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. What? What have we been doing? We've been quietly arming Taiwan to its teeth. (laughs) Good. China said it deplores and opposes what Washington had done when U.S. President Joe Biden recently signed off on an 80 million grant to Taiwan for the purchase of American military equipment. Honestly, 80 million, that's less than the cost of a single modern fighter jet. And Taiwan already has on order more than 14 billion worth of U.S. military equipment. Does a miserly 80 million more matter? Not really, but it's a signal from our end. Because while fury is Beijing's default response to any military support for Taiwan, this time something was different. Right. The $80 million is not a loan. It comes from American taxpayers. And for the first time in more than 40 years, America is using its own money to send weapons to a place it officially doesn't recognize. This is happening under a program called the Foreign Military Finance, or FMF. Yes, and it's a good thing, knowing what's at stake, right? If anything, we should send more money, frankly. Also, good thing you mentioned this, Taiwan is basically part of China, right? And it's officially known as the Republic of China, and it has been governed independently of mainland China, officially the People's Republic of China, PRC, since 1949. Though the United States does not have diplomatic relations with Taiwan, officially, unofficially, and pretty much everybody knows, we have a robust relationship. And China views the island as a renegade province and They are vowing to eventually unify Taiwan with the mainland, even by force, if necessary. Right, which is why it is entirely possible that if World War III happens, it might start in the Taiwan Strait with China and U.S. on opposing sides. Especially since analysts expect China to make a military move by 2030, if not earlier. Knock on wood, but yes, I feel the same. While the Middle East conflict right now has the potential to escalate further into an all-encompassing regional thing, while the war in Ukraine also has the potential to still devolve into a more complicated situation, I feel that 
these repeated clashes with China in and around the Taiwan Strait and in the South China Sea are what might break the camel's back, simply because of what's at stake here, the future, basically. The irony is that this race for AI supremacy might be the beginning of the end. Like, people are worrying that AI will become sentient and omnipotent and will kill us all. I worry that in our quest for AI supremacy, we, the humans, are going to cause our own demise by I don't know, starting World War III. But let's not go there because I don't think it's going to get that far. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Also, there's the same talk about China's military, how great they are, how amazing, how disciplined, and so on. Like there was about Russia's military before we all saw how it failed again and again in Ukraine. Despite the efforts of films such as Wolf Warrior to glamorize dreary military careers with mediocre pay, the Chinese military struggles to hire skilled people, from fighter pilots to engineers. It has almost no experience of combat. Xi Jinping calls this the peace disease. Its most deadly engagement in the past four decades or so was massacring its own citizens around Tiananmen Square in 1989. Very well said, but see, the fact that Xi Jinping refers to peace as a disease, even though it's in the context of what peace means for his military, this is worrying. That being said, we gotta make sure China doesn't get control over Taiwan. It's probably one of the most, if not the most important foreign policy and military goal for the United States at this moment. We are at a critical crossroads and Taiwan is the key to ensure a livable, breathable and even prosperous future for our people. And by the way, speaking of militaries, ours and theirs, they're not communicating. Our militaries have no contact right now, which is not, it doesn't make me sleep well at night. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> U.S. officials say our diplomats had raised the importance of re-establishing military dialogue in nearly every conversation with their Chinese counterparts over the past year, but with no success. One of the main sticking points for re-establishing military-to-military communication has been the Chinese spy balloon incident, which comes up often when discussing the communications freeze, one official said. Yeah, and also it was Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. And it's not that she only visited Taiwan, she actually visited the TSMC fabs. So, you know, microchips. So that, that pissed China off. But at the same time, we had to send that signal. Like, this is way too important to us. And hopefully the San Francisco meeting between President Biden and President Xi Jinping will help ease tensions and improve relations. Also, I want the pandas back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we managed to cover everything we set out to in this episode from, of course, the pandas, to microchips and Taiwan, to artificial intelligence implications, to diplomacy and military issues. So, Sandra, what's your dubimeter level for this episode? Scale of 1 to 10. I find the timing of the panda force exodus very shady, Tyler, super dubious. And given the seriousness of the situation with Taiwan and what the panda's signal from Beijing actually means, because remember, they're bringing all their pandas from all our allies back home. So given all we've talked about, I'm saying 9.5, if not a straight 10. Well, I roughly agree that we're on the same page. I'll call it an 8.9 for the panda diplomacy. Yes, Dubi friends, if you like us, please recommend Dubious to your friends and family. You know what I always say, personal recommendations are the best recommendations. We are at Dubious Pod on all social media. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. We love you, Dubi friends, and don't forget, stay dubious. <laughs> <laughs>